The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. And we're back. It's the Breakfast Club. Mm-mm. Mm. No. Not it better be the club. other Breakfast Club. <laughs> I am Allie motherfucking Sheedy. Okay. Well, yeah, I have... Um, is James Spader in that movie? Nope. He, might, he should have been, though. Yeah. I know, right? <laughs> he would have been really hot. Um, no, you would be the... Not Anthony Michael Hall. Mm. As a bully to me, you're the Judd Nelson. But. <laughs> okay. I was confusing James Spader with Judd Nelson, and... Forgive me. Yeah, please. You please don't mix up former suddenly Susan cast members again. <laughs> um, no, I'm talking about the Breakfast Club because there was a wild interview on the Breakfast Club. Yes, with Charlemagne. Yes, is that with, what you're saying? Yes, with Elizabeth Warren. I know. Yeah, he, Liz, who booked this? I here. Here's a thing I want to say. I feel like I'm already jumping into the keep it's. I get that the Democratic you know, candidates want to go where they can be seen. You know, they love sitting down, mm-hmm. love talking into a mic. Do that with John Favreau, you know? Um, he's he's talking to Oprah's spiritual advisor on shows. Oh, yeah, Marion Williamson? Yeah, for some reason. Um, but don't go on The Breakfast Club. Don't sit down and talk to Charlemagne. I just had a conversation with someone about this because it's clearly— it is when the white candidates are like, look at us, we, youths of color, <laughs> we're down. And like, first of all, I'm going to tell you something. That block of people probably isn't voting f- for any of you. Yeah. Like you're not well, you're not going on the breakfast club and like someone's like, oh, I listen to Charlemagne regularly. I've changed my <laughs> mind on Elizabeth Warren. It, I wouldn't worry about that. I would go fucking register some voters in places where Republicans are not letting black people vote. Like that's going to do more for what I assume your goal with that is. Mm-hmm. Um, because like what what astute political insights are you going to be able to work through with Charlemagne? Absolutely none. And it's I also put the blame on people like Bill Maher, mm-hmm. Ari Melber. These are the white men who constantly pretend as if Charlemagne is smart. And yes. should be giving commentary on other TV shows. And so now we have this warped sense of the idea that Charlemagne is a person that you should go to. Like he's part of the rounds. Yeah. yeah. Um, Bill and- Maher really is the king of finding people with nothing good to say fascinating. <laughs> like, wasn't he like propping up Milo Yiannopoulos for all those yeah, years? Yeah. Like, yeah. They're friends. <laughs> yeah. Ann Coulter. Right. Ann Coulter, yeah. our girl. Um, so, yeah, stay off Bill Maher and stay on the fucking Breakfast Club. Stay off the Breakfast Club. It really felt like that entire thing was him building up to a joke he had pre-written about Rachel Dolezal. Yes, he was already in his mind like, I'm going to call Elizabeth Warren the original 
Rachel Dolezal. Which is just leaning into a narrative that Trump built. And by the way, he's like the biggest racist of all. So right. don't follow that line. Also, like, my God, people, it feels like as every time we get close to being done with fucking Rachel Dolezal. Right. One of you morons says her name again. And then now she's tre- she was trending. The name was trending on Twitter again. I'm like, you're only helping this fool. Well, I said her name three times in a mirror this morning, Kara. So <laughs> she, she may appear? be our guest okay. this episode. What if I say Iggy Azalea just had a new single it was featuring Rachel Dolezal. What would you do? I would not be shocked. <laughs> um, also, it was trash because I digged up this old interview where Charlemagne was comparing Rachel Dolezal to Caitlyn Jenner. Oh, good. And so he he's not even, you know, on the side of coming down on Rachel Dolezal. Right. So it means that everything that he was doing with Elizabeth Warren was just so it would trend and people would talk about it. Fun fact, Charlemagne once wrote me an email when I was a writer at Jezebel, um, where, because I, he had given an interview with Dasha Palermo and didn't seem to be familiar with the concept of Afro-Latinas despite living in New York fucking city, where most of them are. <laughs> and he, uh, And then he wrote me an email like, I really didn't know. I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like the, the, the cracks of the email. <laughs> you could fill a book or a whole podcast episode with things Charlemagne doesn't know. Uh, whew. Anyway. Oh, the things you don't know. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, anyway, he's dumb. His show is dumb. He's transphobic. Don't go on his show. Yeah. No. Don't go on his show. Uh, anyway, today we have a lot going on. That's true. Yeah, if we got legends. Off, yes, le- we have legends. Controversially, we stand legends on this yeah. podcast. We do. We have legends, icons, stars. It's it's an entire episode of Pose today. Um, <laughs> we're, we're just throwing a ball. Um, but um, we'll be joined by author Jacob Tobia, and we will be talking about their new book, Sissy, and also the overcommercialization of Pride. As I'm, as Iris sits in a Pride polo hoodie. Yes. By the way, <laughs> you know, looking at the problem, because you know, all the proceeds went to the Stonewall Foundation. So I'm happy you did it. <laughs> I didn't pay for it. We will also be joined by icon TV icon Dechina Arnold, icon. Ugh. TV icon, life icon, side eye icon. Yes. And what a performance she gives in this new yes. movie. Tachina Arnold will be here to talk with us about her new film. The last black man in San Francisco was not aware there were any. <laughs> There's just the one. This is a yeah. newsreel. Yes. Just the one in the movie. And then we're going to talk about Kanye West on David Letterman's Netflix show. And won't that be fun? <laughs> I'll be here. We'll be right back. It's June, which means that finally... It's busting finally, out all over, Leslie Uggam style? Well, I mean, finally... Dark Phoenix is out. Oh, thank God. I don't know. Maybe. Jean Grey is going to do it this time. (laughs) Sansa is ready. What are you talking about? The new X-Men movie. The new X-Men movie. Oh. You've heard of Dark Phoenix, Kara. There's been 17 versions of this movie that have come out in the past (laughs) 10 years. (laughs) Um, But June also means that it's the beginning of Pride Month. And this year, we're also celebrating the 50th anniversary of Stonewall. And as a refresher course, the Stonewall riots were a series of violent demonstrations 
Um, people died for our rights, Lewis. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that clip of Derek Barry and Willem. <laughs> Nobody died at Stonewall, guys, but yeah. Nobody died? <laughs> <laughs> but it was a series of protests led by members of the LGBTQ community, predominantly people of color, against a police raid that took place at Stonewall Inn in New York in 1969. And the events are widely recognized as the beginning of the modern fight for LGBTQ rights in the U.S. Um, so to talk about pride, and everything surrounding our culture. I don't know. We're just going to go for it. Uh, Jacob Tobia is here. Hi. Hello. Author Hi. of Sissy, A Coming of Gender Story, mm-hmm. a book which uh, you should author. author. Yes. Oh, oh put that in there. Oh. It's officially a national bestseller. So All right. Just... You earned that. You did earn that. I really did, though. <laughs> it was through chaos and witchcraft, but I earned it. Also, I mean, the witchcraft in the blazer Jacob is wearing is very important. It mm. belongs on an actress who is exactly like like a Mare Winningham or something. Yes. yes. Somebody yes. who's like seventh build, but cool. Mm. You know? Catherine mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Hahn. Sure. Oh, sure. Catherine Hahn would love that blazer. Yeah. Oh my God, Catherine Hahn. Yes. She's really having an upswing right now. It's She's nice. been having an upswing since forever. She's yeah. like fourth build now. Yeah, quite. Yeah. Yes. And she will get to first. <laughs> she has to shove someone down the stairs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She's seen showgirls. Anyway. Uh, Jada. I would support Catherine Hahn if she shoves someone down the stairs. <laughs> Yeah. I wouldn't ask any questions. I'd be like, okay. <laughs> I just hope she's not replacing the memory of Anna Gasteyer. They sort of have similar spaces in my brain. Anyway, I'm concerned. Um, all right. So we're here. Why do we think Pride Month is still important? Is it important? Well, I mean, the uh, it, it's like, you know, in some ways, the joke I make often is I'm like, it's gay Christmas now. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Right? Like, And I say that as someone who grew up in the Methodist church. So with the full weight of like, you know, I feel like when when I was like, uh, you, like, like a teenager or whatever, you know, there'd be like, it's about the, we have to talk about the true meaning of Christmas. We can't get distracted by the corporatization mm-hmm. of Christmas. <laughs> it's about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, being <laughs> born in a little manger with the hay and the, and the wood thing and the animals and the star and the shepherds and whatever. You know, like there was like, like this whole kind of like, don't get distracted about the true meaning right. of the thing. Don't let the companies distract you from it. And I feel like now I am, I'm like a pastor, but around pride, I'm just like, don't get distracted from the true meaning of pride, the true reason for the season. And it's Marsha P. Johnson. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and, and so <laughs> don't I don't get I, distracted by that free Chipotle gift card that they throw tr- from the float. I love that gift card. I love that gift card. <laughs> so every year. I need that gift card. Um, yes. I definitely, I feel like there was one year where somehow I got like 10 of them. Yes. There was definitely that. I feel like it was three or four years ago. Chipotle was really going overboard was, with those I think gift three cards. Or four, yeah. And you just see friends with like, I've got seven. Yeah, no, I ate free Gloria Chipotle. Gloria Allred's like, throwing them at you. Yeah. It was like, it wasn't just in June. Like I ate free Chipotle like, like all the way till September, you know, like once a week for like, like it was, it was incredible. I used to work right next to Chipotle, like shout out Chipotle. Um, thank you for fueling my activism uh, along with other issues. Um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, I think that, I think it's like, you know, there's one way to look at it that is sort of like the cynics, like, oh my gosh, like all these companies are just trying to market. Mm-hmm. To like queer folks that have expendable income and blah 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 blah, um, and and I think in some ways that's an oversimplification, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's it's because the thing I always try and remind myself is that behind almost every pride initiative um, at a company, it's like there's 
there's sort of two things going on, right? There's always like at some point, generally, there's like that that like cis straight executive who had to be convinced that they could do this. Mm -hmm. But almost always the person fighting for that to happen, like at the company is like some wonderful queen, some like (laughs) really brilliant dyke. Like, I don't know. But it's like it's someone someone queer in the company who is like, let's do something cool for like our thing, Mm -hmm. you know? And so. I I try and honor that even at its kind of most corporate and annoying, it is actually still generally the creative labor of like queer and trans folks um, who are working within these institutions to sort of bring more visibility around the season. Um, That being said, there are definitely better and worse ways to do it. Correct. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You also actually just keyed into what my favorite thing about a pride parade is, which is obviously there's like lots of different ways to be visible in a pride parade, et cetera. But weirdly, something I love the most is seeing where gay people or queer people work. You know what I mean? Like that to me is like an illustration of an entire life. Like I get to be myself because I can pay for it via this job. Sometimes it's like a giant corporation you probably hate, but other times it's not. You know, it's like interesting to see like this is what's coming to mind. The L.A. Zoo represented (laughs) as pride. Right. Because I feel like as gay people, so many, especially like in L.A., like so many people like you look at your their Instagram, you're like, are you an Instagram model? Is this what you do all day? <laughs> right. And then at Pride, you see them walking in like, you know, their um, technical institute that they're like a professor at. Yeah, right. Something. It's like, oh, you have a real job. And you just happen <laughs> to have those abs. Fuck. It also, I feel like I wonder what people expect mm. also from corporations. Like you're saying right. corporations are hypocritical. Like I, I just saw an ad from Nike where it was like about women being strong. And we just found out that they like stopped paying female athletes when they got pregnant. Wait, so really? like the dis- yeah, like the disconnect Ew. between it's a fucking company. Right. And so I don't find the disconnect to be surprising. And like right. whether or not you have legitimate gripes with it, it's sort of like, guys, what hasn't been commercialized by these people? Like anything, any cash grab they can take. Right. And so it's one of those where it's like, it's not, it's it's it was inevitable. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you were mm-hmm. never gonna not get to a point where this was something that they were all trying to just like make money off Being of. gay yeah. as a company anyway. I mean, Alexis Carrington owns 51% of it. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> What's more humanizing than being objectified by a brand? Right. right. It's just... <laughs> I feel alive. I never yeah. feel more empowered than yes. when I have to sell something for somebody. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You do at least like when the brand, you know, sort of yeah. donates, you know, a hundred percent even, you know, right. no, And profit. like that's, and that's you the know. kind of thing, like, I mean, like I'm, I'm, I did two, like, I did two like brand related pride things mm-hmm. this year. Um, and one of them uh, is with Fossil Watches, and they're donating 100% of proceeds from this watch that they designed mm-hmm. to the Hedrick Martin Institute, which is an organization that I fucking love mm-hmm. um, that does, like, super vital work in New York and New Jersey for, like, you know, economically marginal, like, LGBTQ youth. Mm-hmm. And so it's, like, you know, like, the, that 100% number is really important to me when mm-hmm. thinking about mm-hmm. these partnerships um, because it's kind of, like— yeah, like, but actually, if you're going to, like, make money off of the feel good of the season, you need to, like, do some feel good. Right. Yeah. Because the 50% right. feels like you're fine with, like, a 50%, but it feels a little cheap sometimes because right. it's like, use this to market your product. Then, exactly. You know, give away all those profits that you make from whatever it is that you're pimping out and then hope that people hmm. remember your product fondly when Pride right. is over and you go back to your boring colors. And also like design cute shit. Yeah. Sometimes right. the stuff that people make is atrocious. Do you, do you think it's an argument? Do you think there's or how do you feel about the argument that like oh look there there's a rainbow flag on everything like you got like it has in joining that sort of club of commoditizing pride that it signals to like 
an acceptance in some way. Just I, I think I feel like some mm. people are like, oh, look, it's happened to you, too, just like it's happened to all of these other things. And doesn't that signal that, like, just get in line with like all these other things that started out as something a bit more important. But, you know, we've now turned mm. into just Disneyland. Right. And, and I think that's the thing is like I, I would like ultimately to um, resist the Disneylandification of pride mm-hmm. um, and sort of get beyond because I, I think it's also like just because pride isn't has has been kind of like latched onto in a pretty corporate way doesn't mean that like all sort of um organizations honoring pride are created equal mm-hmm. right like i think that it is incumbent on us as as like a queer community to stay just as critical as we should always be mm-hmm. and in some ways also be maybe become critical in ways that we aren't on a day to day you know like i remember, I, f- I feel like i saw some tweet or something from like the fbi being like happy <laughs> fbi <laughs> pride and i was like this is dystopia I'm, I'm, <laughs> the fbi is out here tweeting like we're honoring martin luther king and i was like you all like give me a Give me a break. Like, give us a fucking break. Yeah. Like, my favorite right. Pride film, J. Edgar. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, and like, I mean, yeah, like, obviously, if they would, if they had tweeted, right, like, if they had been like, we're today we're celebrating, like, you know, our, like, weird sort of, like, uh, low-key dictator, like, gender non-conforming icon, yeah. <laughs> cross-dressing fucking revolution, J. Edgar Hoover, then we'd be like, okay, we can at least talk about, like, like, you shouldn't honor him probably, but, like, we can talk about, like, it's cool that the FBI yeah. is acknowledging that the dude, you know, was, like, part of, unfortunately, part of, like the gender non-conforming <laughs> and queer community. As Kamala yeah. Harris would say, we can have that conversation. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, I want to know, actually, spe- pivoting from the Disneylandification right. of Pride, this sort of idea of, I feel like as queer people, especially when you're younger and you're sort of coming out, mm. right? Um, a large part of a Pride is about finding a community that will accept you, seeing just sort of a celebration of who you are. Mm. And a lot of people's journeys involve, oh, I can bring my parents to this, you know, and Mm. like they can like show that they support me. But I also wonder how you think that like jives with the idea of a lot of queer people feeling like we shouldn't force pride to be family friendly, you know? Mm. Like, you know, it's things where it's like, some people are like, I don't know if I want to take my kids to pride, you know, because like you see people from like, the fetish community or other things like Mm. happening and floats and stuff that they think wouldn't be family friendly. But I'm like, that's also part of the community too. So how do we like have this balance of Mm. something that we can educate um, family and like kids with, but also something that still celebrates the fullness of Mm. what queer life is? Well, I think we have to sort of revisit what our core assumptions are about what it means to be family friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, because mm-hmm. when you think when I when when people say, oh, like you like, for example, like don't have a kinky puppy, you know, like walking around at Pride because that's going to be too much for my children mm-hmm. and it's not family friendly. And I'm like, well, the part of the family that that's not friendly towards is not the children. It's the uncomfortable squirming parents. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. right? Like actually kids, I don't think that sex positivity um, really like it's it's not bad for kids. You know what I mean? Like, like when kids are going to a pride parade, if they see someone dressed up in some kinky leather, they're not going to be like, oh, kink. They're going to be like, oh, that's a funny outfit. I like that outfit. Right, like, it's right. not even sexual for kids. Yeah. You know what I mean? In the I same- wasn't turned on by him from Powerpuff Girls. 
Right. Speak for yourself. But, like, yeah, wow. um, but I found that more in my teenage years. I was like, ooh, wow. Like, is, this the, is this like the power dom I need or is this the power dom I am? I don't know. Um, but no, I just the idea that the idea that like, oh, children should not see like naked people running around like that's bad for them. I mean, like, I'm not saying bring your children to Folsom Street Fair. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But like if you're just like parading in your like in your kink garb or you're parading in like, you know, not dressed very much, like it's like literally. Literally, like a child is not going to be scarred by seeing a right. per- like a by seeing you know a gay boy in a thong. Well, They're going to be like, that's fun. The other thing is, if they if your kids see something they have not seen before, they're children, they're new to the world, they're going to ask you what's going on. And parents don't want to have to explain shit because either they're lazy or they don't want to do the work of like, it's just because there's an easy explanation for a right. lot of things. It's like they're being who they are, whatever it is. Right. But like people don't want to have to do the work of like, mm-hmm. hey, by the way, there are people unlike us in the world and mm. they're cool too, kids. And, and it's also, we're really bad at like talking. We're really bad at like, um, explaining uh, basic like things around sex to children, right. um, you know, in ways that are non-sexual, mm-hmm. right? Like it's actually really easy. Like if your child, just like PSA, if your child sees like, you know, a kinky puppy or like, you know, like a leather daddy or whatever, and they're like, what's that outfit? Then you can just be like, oh, well he, like sometimes some people have fun wearing that. Yeah. yeah. It's just, right. He's having fun. Isn't yeah. that fun? Right. Because but, that's a lot of what your book talks about too. Right. You know, um, I think that I really love the part where you talk about how you want newer, messier narratives just for Mm. queer people, you know, because you talk about, you know, as a non-binary person, just the idea that your story, for instance, isn't Laverne Cox's or, you know, um, you know, Mm. or Janet Mm. Mox, you know, it's like, it's different. It's not when you're even going to see on like Pose or something, you know, it's, you are giving. It's what we should see more of on Yes. And will, I'm sure. Yeah. (laughs) And so I, I like that idea of just sort of like, Pride is what it is for people, you know? And so, you know, you have to figure out how to talk about it yourself. And also this idea that, like, that, that, that kids can't handle queer concepts. It's like the the irony is that actually the thing that's generally really confusing for children is like uh, hatred. Um, kids are really confused when you tell them to hate somebody. Um, but but kids are actually really chill with like the idea of like, oh, people just are different ways. Right. You know, like like people, you know, I, I feel like one of the big kind of stereotypes or or um or stigmas that's out there about kind of like non-binary or gender non-conforming people um and and the trans community and stuff is like, well, how do I explain all this to my children? It's too complicated for them. And I'm like, no, 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 actually gender, like gender diversity and like gender spectrum sort of thinking is like what naturally comes to children. Have you ever met a child? Yeah. Like they don't think in two rigid gen- binary genders. Mm-hmm. Like that behavior is actually deeply confusing. Like the gender binary is so much work to teach kids. Holy shit, the amount yeah. of time we spend teaching kids the gender binary. You spend, we, we literally are like spend like 10 whole years being like, no, this is how gender works. No, it's one of two. No, no, you messed it up again, Timmy. Buy this toy and right. dress this way. Yeah. Right. Like that's so confusing for kids to be like, wait, no, pink is a color that you can't wear. Wait, but why? What the fuck? That doesn't make any sense. Whereas like, oh, some people wear this thing. Some people wear that thing. People wear things that make them happy. Yeah, the That's easiest simple, reference yeah. is probably just remembering, like, when you're a kid and you like the Power Rangers or something. Right. You know, you pick whatever color you like and you want to be that person. But at some point, an adult tells you, no, you can't be Kimberly. Right, or right. Right. You know. Also, I just think it's a weirdly 
underrated hard part of coming out, speaking for myself, I guess, to me, the hardest part of coming out, I mean, look, there's uh, obviously it's like, who's out there that's going to be horrible to me, et cetera, et cetera. But honestly, to me, the hardest thing is realizing how much straight people have not prepared you for it. Like, how can right. you, like, why did you not like teach me any of this? And it's, it goes back to this conversation of, for some reason, you're pretending I couldn't handle it. And mm-hmm. now I'm out here by myself having to figure it out, right. you know? And in fact, what I couldn't handle was like the overwhelming cruelty that the world expressed to me anytime <laughs> I was feminine. It's like, I couldn't handle that shit. But if you just been like, some people are girlier, some people are more masculine, some people like enjoy pink, some people don't, some people are extra and have too much gender and are really annoying to everybody else around them because they keep trying to steal all the fucking tool and all the tutus and they don't know how to share very well at dress up time, Jacob. But you know, it's natural. And I would have been like, okay, great. Mm-hmm. And and so yeah, I guess I guess when I when I think about like kids at Pride and kids and queer ideas and all that stuff, I'm just like no 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 like the goal should be to like end up raising our kids queer, you know. And if they end up not being queer or trans, that's fine. But like let's let's assume that every child on this planet is queer and trans. And what would we how would we build a world like designed for their empathy? Mm-hmm. And kindness towards them, you know, and that world is one where like you wear whatever you want to pride because we actually like have really great conversations around like consent and like touching and all those kinds of things with our kids and be like, hey, you know, like there is such a good like if, if you don't like how someone's touching you, you let me know kind of shit, you know, like there's basic protective conversations we don't even have with kids around like what it means to keep to keep kids safe and keeping kids safe you can't keep kids safe with sex negativity. You have to, yeah. you can only keep kids safe by being honest about like what goes on in the world at an age appropriate level. I'm not a child psychologist, but maybe this is like another calling. For I my see life. it. I, there's also nothing I hate more than people rolling up to some shit that they're not a part of and then demanding things be different. Like in any arena, <laughs> like you don't get to show up to this thing and like, no, but um, I'd rather the orders be, di- bitch, what you weren't, this isn't, this wasn't Did your you pay thing. For those yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah, I have no pitches for Sweet Heat in Miami for like Black yeah, Lesbian like, Pride. You're, yeah. a, you're, a, you're a fucking guest here, man. This is what we're serving, and that's what's happening. Well, and also, like, if you're a queer parent with with children and you can't figure out some sort of age appropriate way to explain why some people dress up like puppies, then like. You know, God help you. Yeah, you're, right. you're, you're, you know, being a queer parent's tough anyway. So it's like, it's like, yeah, I, I commiserate a little bit, but it's like, you, this is possible and not that hard. And also, like, don't act like thongs are that scary. Right. Yeah. And Scooby you know? taught us for years that you just dress up as things to haunt people out of places. Sure. Yeah. 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 That's why we dress you up as pride. Yeah. We want to scare straight people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's actually out a, of it's, our <laughs> neighborhood. Yeah, we're gonna <laughs> like we're gonna mil- like militarize our feathers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jacob, I want to thank you for being here. Of course, and of course, the book is sissy. A one of the great words. Mm-hmm. A bestseller. A bestseller. Yeah, the book is great. People should get it. Um, it tells your story, and I think it will help other people with their stories. I sure hope so. Because the whole thing point is that everyone has a coming of gender story to tell, you know? Like, the, the, the book itself is a is a bait and switch. It's like, yes, come read about my journey with gender. And then by the end, you're like, oh, fuck, what do I know about my own gender? And I'm like, gotcha! <laughs> so if you would enjoy that experience and want to go on that journey with me, buy the book. The trickery jumped out. <laughs> <laughs> when we're back, we'll be talking to Tachina Arnold about her latest film, The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Thank you. 
As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made in Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made in. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made in Cookware. Shop chef-quality pots and pans at madeincookware.com. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see footprints in the sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? <laughs> no? Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And <laughs> I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. (laughs) Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations. There's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives have always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Doesn't the black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. <laughs> Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. We are back with actress, TV legend, oh. icon. Oh, gosh. Tachina Arnold. Thank you. Hi. I am so happy you are here. Thank 
Thank you. I'm yes. happy to be here. This is awesome. In this nice big building with quiet people. <laughs> we all sit around at the round table. All I need is a goddamn glass of wine and we're good. Listen, we wish we had the wine too. <laughs> I want to say, she came in, it was like quiet as a study out there and she goes, I don't mean to disturb anybody. It was legendary. Because I didn't know they were like right, right around there. the corner. <laughs> that was funny. Uh, there's so much we could talk about oh with you. God. I mean, because you've done it all. Uh, truly. I tried to. You know, um, <laughs> I mean, I think most people will know Martin, which was iconic. Um, it's oh. one of my favorite sitcoms. And oh, you, you did such a great job of just, you know, being the comic relief, <laughs> you know, uh, really sort of competing with Martin Lawrence, you yeah, know, crazy, uh, crazy, but... right, which is, which is hard to do on that show because he's also playing so many characters, too. But I think that, like, you were consistently one of the funniest parts of that show. The, 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 with Martin, the, what I loved about being on Martin, we didn't know what we had. We really mm -hmm. didn't. We literally came to work and we freaking laughed our asses off every day. We came to work and we we fed off each other. Um, it wasn't until Martin hit syndication and this little Indian boy walks up to me and he's like, you are bam. And I was like, oh, my God, we've reached. Yeah, we like because we didn't know like Martin was a, uh, his comedic ability is infectious. Mm -hmm. And either you're going to be on board or you're not. And I always say and give him uh, accolades for making me a better comedic actress because mm -hmm. You never knew what he was going to do. Mm -hmm. So you just had to stay with him. He would never stick to the script, <laughs> which was a lot of fun. So it Martin, literally, the show was created as it played out. How do you feel now, you know, with with the Internet and like streaming services and things like that, like this new audience of people that are discovering the show because I feel like it's something especially with millennials like we were of an age where you like I remember watching it live but mm -hmm. then re-watching it and like I'm older now so I I get it a little bit more and just like the idea that the show has like followed you in that way it's weird seeing the influence that Martin has had on like my daughter I, 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 she's 15 now 15 going on 55 please pray for me <laughs> um, she when she was eight because we used to watch Family Dad, Family Guy together. And I used to tell her, don't let people know that you watch Family Guy. Because, <laughs> you know, she got it. She got comedy. Like, she was laughing at the same jokes. Yeah. I was like, oh, my God, my kid gets comedy. Thank God. So one day she went, she was in her room all day. And I'm like, Elijah, what are you doing? She comes out. She's like, Mom. I just finished watching Martin. <laughs> <laughs> and she goes... You were really funny. And I was like, I told you, I told you I'm funny. But it's amazing to see what impression that we've made upon mm -hmm. the millennials because they've been watching. Like, I'm imp I, I kind of act like Lily, Lily Tomlin, Cal Burnett, mm -hmm. you know, uh, 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 my boy uh, Flip Wilson. Mm -hmm. 
those are the people that I watched. Mm -hmm. But it's weird watching people who watched us uh -huh. yeah. act like us. It's the craziest thing. It's yeah. the weirdest thing. So the millennials and this new age mm -hmm. of uh, people that are on the internet yeah. and they're, you know, being funny and doing things, I think it's a, it, it's a blessing, you know? Mm -hmm. Comedy lives forever, and I think it's important to make people laugh. Mm -hmm. I think it's important for us to tell stories. I think it's important for us to be honest with each other. But to see the 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 effects of what mm -hmm. Martin has done throughout the twenty something years that it's been out it's just crazy. I was going to say uh, your performance in the Last Black Man in San Francisco illustrates just how versatile you are. It's such a fabulous performance. Oh you do such God. fabulous work. Thank you. Right, eight twenty four's new movie, Last Man in San Francisco. Yes. Uh, Plan B. Last black man in San Francisco. What did he, what did he say? He said last man. Because okay. <laughs> you know what? Every man could watch this and relate to it. Yeah. Because there's white men in this movie that, you know, it doesn't make the white man the bad man. Mm -hmm. It just shows an honest uh, 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 reflection of what happened. I mean, they are villainous. This movie is wonderful. I have one qu more question about like your sitcom pass. It, clearly, you can do anything, but do you actually miss the era of like completely whiz bang comedy on yes. TV? I do feel like it's yes. it's like diminished in a way. I'm like we're a little bit obsessed with realism yeah. in a way that is just like we we miss the gigantic comic moments nowadays. That is such a good poignant point because I do miss it and. It's it's hard to convey missing it without hating on what's happening now. Yeah, so yeah. I kind of like try to, you know, parse my words and just kind of, you know, use my words carefully in describing the difference between then and now. Because I don't want to be, you know, I'm turning 50 this month and I'm like, I don't want to be that lady like, oh, I remember the good old days. <laughs> you know? But. They were good old days. The nineties were sick. Yes. <laughs> the nineties were so much fun. And it was just a, a whole era of just newness. Everything mm -hmm. was new. Everything was, I mean, nothing new is new on this earth, but it felt new. Everything was innovative. It was just, uh, it came from a, a real place. So now you have, you know, the industry now trying to create the real and you can't create real. Yeah. Did and you, that's what your problem is. Did you feel yeah. that push and pull, I guess, when you were on Everybody Hates Chris? Because that was sort of that bridge, I feel mm -hmm. like, between the 90s comedy and switching to sort of like what we do now in comedy. But I felt that you were very grounded in that show, but also there were great moments where you still were able to give us like exaggerated character. I always say thank God for flashbacks. <laughs> yeah, because the flashbacks. Yeah. You know, Ali Leroy and Chris Rock did an amazing job with uh, Everybody Hates Chris because mm -hmm. uh, I always uh, attribute that 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 part of my life to, you know, is when I had my daughter, she was two. So I was a new mother. So and I was the, it was the first time I was ever playing a mother. Mm -hmm. And so for me to play a mother and still be able to be funny, mm -hmm. still be able to convey funny stories, still be able to be a black woman and mm -hmm. be proud of it and you not compromise my blackhood, my black womanhood mm -hmm. on top of telling somebody's story that's not really literally their story, but it's through the eyes of Chris Rock who's a comedic brilliant guy as well. Just to be able to be a part of that project, it really taught me a lot. It stepped my game up because now it's not four cameras that are on me. It's two cameras. It's single cameras, completely mm -hmm. different from multi-camera. Mm -hmm. So I had to pull back. It's like, oh, okay, not so big. Mm -hmm. But then those moments where we do the flashbacks, I mm -hmm. can go big. But 
to be able to 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 have different levels of my career, I want to do it all. Well, I want to do it all. You talked about, like, when you're talking about the 90s, a narrative that I see a lot now is, like, we need, like, like this sort of push in diversity as if it's new, as if there were not... In particular, if we're talking about black women, tons of black girls on TV in the oh, 90s, because that was like what I watched. And I remember how many like shades and how many different types of black girls. There were a lot of them. So they went away. And so this thing now is not this new thing of putting these people on television. It's like, well, you need to get back to some shit that you had started that went away. Mm. And I know you said like that you want to play like white girl roles. Yeah. You like See, black, black is the new black. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. we're in the era of black is the new black. Mm -hmm. And for me to be able to have the opportunity, because there's it's a it's a two, two-sided coin here. It's uh you have very rarely do like last black man, last black man in San Francisco was the first script that was written for a black woman. <laughs> that I saw a role that's written for it didn't say all ethnicity. Mm -hmm. And I auditioned like everybody else for it. So when I read the, 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 the scene, I was like, oh, my God, I got to do this. I didn't even understand all of the film because that's how poetic this film is. It's, mm -hmm. It was hard to visualize. It was hard for my imagination to see how the DP and the director, Joe Talbert, amazing. Adam Newport, yes, amazing DP. But to be able to convey a story that is a real story, a true story, a story about black men and being seen in a different light that they haven't been seen before, to be able to uh, have a script that was written for me, mm -hmm. you know, it becomes now it becomes personal yeah. and now it becomes something that I want to do and be a part of because it's part of the story of, a, of my legacy. It's a part of the story of a legacy in the arts, period. So we have... Situations where, uh, as a black woman in America, I don't, I'm not afforded the same opportunities. I'm not afforded the same things. Mm -hmm. We can't cry about it. So we got to take what we got and do what we can with it. And this film, have you guys seen it? Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. Okay. You're seen with Jimmy. You well, felt I mean, like my one word, one word, yeah. one word. Tell me how you felt about that. Describe the film and how you felt after you left. One word. I mean, I'm going to choose the word you chose, which is poetic. Okay. One word. Stirred. Wow. Yeah. Great word. Expansive. Okay. Mm -hmm. Look at the... Look at that. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. So we don't get projects like this enough. Mm -hmm. I think we... Hollywood needs more projects What's like a this. What's a role, a white girl role that you wish you had gotten to play? Oh, like gosh. just throughout... Oh, yeah. It was on the white girl yeah. thing. The reason why... I like going out for white girl roles because black women, we do everything. <laughs> We're not just one thing. Yeah. And unfortunately, because... Black is the new black now. Mm -hmm. We're discovering, oh, hey, black people know how, oh, y'all know how to do that. Like, we're skateboarders. We're surfers. We're, you know so, what I mean? I know specifically which white girl role I wish you had played. What? Uh, oh, wow. What? So what? They know where I'm about to go. I'm a, I'm a big soap opera fan. So okay. uh, I still watch Days of Our Lives to this day. Oh, uh, wow. Everyone who listens to the show knows that. Grew up on them. You were on Ryan's Hope. Yes. You played... Zena Brown. Yes, I sure did. And you were basically just the black best friend mm -hmm. who came to the door every day and were helping this girl, Emily Ann. Emily who was, who was, who was, who was, cry, who was crying all the fucking time. Yeah. Uh, Cause she found out her mom was a prostitute. Her, uh. her real dad was the pimp. Um, she had a breakdown, went to an institution. Um, watching those clips is just like, I wish that was you. And I wonder like how you felt 
um because you were you were born in queens yep uh, queens. you know um joining ryan's hope this mm. show you know about this um irish catholic family mm. and sort of being the best friend um i mean and it's one of your first roles too so like mm. were you how did you feel on that set were you like damn i wish like i could mix it up no. in a story i wish you my mom what? was a prostitute <laughs> <laughs> I wish my mom. but you, you know where i was during that time i was literally when i did ryan's hope i was 17 going on 18 mm -hmm. and i was overwhelmed mm -hmm. i was scared i was happy because very rarely do you get a dark-skinned black woman on soap operas with crooked teeth Mm -hmm. Okay. So I, I defied a lot of odds. Yeah. I did. So just the fact of me being there, I was just one of those, oh, oh I'm happy to be here. Yeah. But it wasn't until probably after the first, because well, there's not really seasons, because it goes on, mm -hmm. on and on. Well, you did but, get a daytime Emmy nomination. Yes, I did. I got for, a daytime For Best Ingenue. <laughs> yes, you're on it. <laughs> but... I to be there, I wanted to take whatever they gave me and just make mm -hmm. it happen or make it. So I'm always used to being uh, sad to say second fiddle, mm -hmm. but it's OK to be second fiddle sometimes because the second fiddle holds the narrative. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the second mm -hmm. fiddle holds the the, the storyline. But for me to be able to be amongst those people that have been there forever because I was on the last two years and it went yeah. off the air. And then you join All My Children, Yeah, too. so Felicia Bear took me with her mm -hmm. to All My Children, which was a blessing. So that soap opera world is a whole <laughs> different beast. Mm -hmm. I learned everything what not to do on soap operas. Mm -hmm. I learned, I didn't, I never read from the teleprompters. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, this is the weak spot mm -hmm. for actors mm -hmm. because they're looking at that damn teleprompter. But I understand. I don't judge actors that do it because you're learning four scripts in one day. So it was a very challenging time for me, but it was, it was a make or break time for me mm -hmm. being on, on soap operas because it was just a different beast. And you were early in those days too. It was before like Generations on yeah. NBC, Generation. before you had Victoria Ralph join like yes. Young and the Restless and stuff. So you were it there before. Angie. Yeah, it was and Angie uh, Hubbard, too. Debbie Morgan. Debbie Morgan. Yeah. We love mm -hmm. Debbie Morgan. Yeah. She, all we need is one. She opened that door, <laughs> and, mm -hmm. you know, she created a door for me. Mm -hmm. So I just always want to be able to use whatever opportunity that I get and use it wisely. Yeah. Do you have a favorite peer that you like watching? I feel like you must have come up with like a, 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 <laughs> like a, a bunch of actresses you just fucking love. Oh my God. Well, you know, I have so many. I, you know, I'm good friends with Tisha Campbell, of course, with mm -hmm. Gina King, Gabrielle Union, Jada Pinkett. Like, I, it's weird seeing my peers. We're all doing our own thing, but it's mm -hmm. like, yeah, I knew this bitch when she was sleeping on my damn couch. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so to see to, to see everybody um, elevate to a place where we all talked about this. We all dreamt mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. same dreams. We all aspired for the same things. And we were all in competition with each other mm -hmm. as well in the midst of it. For us to come out of it and see the fruits of our labor, it's just amazing. It's, it's amazing to watch. But I do. I like a lot. I don't I don't watch myself. I watch other people. Like, I haven't. I probably haven't seen a full episode of Martin in, like, 20 years. Mm. You know who? who <laughs> I don't watch myself. I would have wanted to see, see you as maybe Nurse Jackie. Oh wow! I can see that. Now that role is an amazing role. I, yeah. See, 
And these that, are the roles that I like going out yeah, for. Did yeah. I audition for Nurse Jackie? <laughs> <laughs> if you want to audition for Nurse Jackie, right, the right reboot now, right yeah. now, go right at her. <laughs> but you see, but you see your desire yeah. to see black women and not just because we have to tell, we have to be a part of telling our own stories, mm-hmm. which Last Black Man in San Francisco does. Mm-hmm. You have Joel Talbot, who's a white guy. You have Jimmy Fails, who's a black guy, who really came up together in the streets of San Francisco Mm -hmm, together. mm -hmm. So Joe Talbot is actually the first white guy that I know that has told a black man's story so wonderfully. Mm -hmm. I'm so proud Mm -hmm. of the way and impressed with what he's done with this film. And even the character who's supposed to be sort of like a surrogate for him is cast as black Mm -hmm. in the movie. You know, yes, I really just feel like um, I love the way that he just gives this sort of poetic license to the black men in the film. Let me ask you all this. Mm -hmm. What didn't you like about the film? Because we all talk about, oh, what we like, what we like. I always, like, what made you uncomfortable or what didn't you like? Interesting question. Yeah. I don't know that I actually have an answer to it because what I like about this movie well, is... Well, you're the white boy in the room. I'm showing <laughs> you that. Come on. <laughs> because this movie to me is my favorite thing, which is it's so acty. Like everybody gets moments to just fully act and it's not about the pretense of like how much music is playing or, you know, it's like it's poetic, but I'm not, but I literally just get to focus in on people. I, I was saying this in another interview we did. Uh-huh. Actors to me are like landscapes. I like sitting be- sitting before them and just taking it all in, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. and I feel like I get to do that with this movie. Wonderful. I don't know if it was a it's not really the movie but i i find it um it's just what made me angry when i leave which is like i think of like gentrification uh-huh. and like the way these cities are being changed and erased and the people that sort of created the culture of 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 these places sort of being kicked out and so it wasn't like i just leave that like oh yeah that sucks <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. but that that means this movie did what it was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You left angry. And we had a man that came in. He said the same thing. He says, I'm angry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know what? And now that you have your your privy to this information, then let's channel that anger. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you do with the anger? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because you're leaving differently. Right. You know, it's like watching a superhero film. You know, you, as a kid, you watch Superman. You come out, you think you, <laughs> you know, I thought I was Wonder Woman for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> what was your, what was your... Honestly, not just because you're here. I wanted to see more of you in the movie. Oh wow! You know, because you know, I wanted I wanted to know more. Uh, I like this guy. <laughs> <laughs> this guy is going places, y'all. I'm gonna tell you. <laughs> uh, no, you know, your scene uh, with Jimmy is just so beautiful. You know, and there's that uh, that scene where you know you're just sort of relating with each other, and then you know he asks for the stuff um, that he, I'm not gonna spoil it, uh-huh. but you know it's like. Um, you switch then right into a different mode. And you're like, I knew why you came here, you know. And a so lot of you stuff was cut. Mm-hmm. So you probably uh, we we would we should tell Joe to do it like an uncut version. It needs to, needs to be an uncut version because the movie mm-hmm. is pretty long. But you mm-hmm. stay. It's it's a it's oh my god. It, it just yes. it's riveting throughout the whole time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're probably because he had to cut some things. So mm-hmm. There was some wonderful. Even Rob Morgan, he had a moment that, like what made him take the role as Jimmy's father is mm-hmm. because. He said there was one line in it that he says, you know, what you think I had? I I wanted your little ass to keep dreaming. I wanted Mm -hmm. your little ass to have dreams. Mm -hmm. So that's why I I made sure I raised you the way I did. Yeah. And I mean, so your your ass could keep dreaming, you know, but they took that. It's it's not it didn't make the film. Also, I don't know how (laughs) we have you and Danny Glover in a movie. I know. Got a scene together. 
Can you believe? Um, you know, I was so pissed about that. <laughs> and then with the one scene that we're in together, we're on opposite sides yeah. of the room. Yeah. I was like, ain't this about a bitch? You know what? We don't, we don't, let's reboot Lethal Weapon. We don't need Mel Gibson no more. Yeah, it's, right? it's you. That, it's that's you. What we I you. love Mel Gibson. Oh, my God. I love Mel Gibson. But, yeah, but see how you tapped into him and Danny Glover. Mm-hmm. That it's, it's, it's kind of the only thing of its kind. And mm-hmm. I think that's what Last Black man in San Francisco is going to be the only one and only thing of its kind. Mm-hmm. It's something that you can always refer to. Okay, well, the film comes out June 7th. Yes. So go and see it. Please. Last Black Man in San Francisco. Yes. Kept calling it Last Man in San Francisco. <laughs> but I, I you're right. I forget that's that they're black men in San Francisco. It's a Freud and Slip. And that's the whole point of the movie. You forget that there's a whole <laughs> black culture. And it's so interesting even watching culturally how mm. everybody is just mixed there like mm-hmm. it's like a melting pot in san francisco yeah. it's crazy it is yes you think you tend to think about oakland you know as like mm. this sort of black area of like the bay and i really like this film and i hope it ushers in more stories about you know just sort of black people's history in sf because mm. we need more of that more 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 and thank you guys for having me thank you to thank you, you. Thank you. Congratulations. you blessed us on the you success did. of your goddamn podcast <laughs> i mean <laughs> shit y'all getting it you gotta have me back please please please, yes, please. thank you for having me thank you I appreciate it <laughs> When we're back, we'll jump into David Letterman's new revealing interview with Kanye West. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite reduces IT costs because it lives in the cloud with no hardware required, so you can access it from anywhere. You cut the cost and headaches of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. Bringing all your major business processes into one platform improves efficiency, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. You'll see how you'll profit with NetSuite, too. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Just go to netsuite.com slash podcast25 for more information. That's netsuite.com slash podcast25. Guess who's back in the house? Feels <laughs> click clacking about. 
<laughs> That's your intro to Kanye West talking to David Letterman. Uh, last Friday, Kanye sat down with David Letterman to kick off season two of Letterman's Netflix show. My next guest needs no introduction. I'm not sure that I knew this existed. It's the kind of thing that makes the news when there's generally a problematic soundbite. Yeah. Do you remember mm. Tina Fey talking to him and him being like, I had no women right on my shows. I wonder why. I never really uh, thought about it before. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. But otherwise, it, yeah, I feel like it's getting attention now because of Kanye. And I'm like, is anyone watching any of the other episodes? Who knows? I did not. <laughs> but maybe I will. Because um, you know what? Before we even get into whatever Kanye West and David Letterman were talking about, um, I was reminded that he's a very good interviewer. Oh, yeah. No, you kind of forget that because at the end of The Late Show, he sort of, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to say he seemed checked out, but it was a different show from when he would really like engage with like mm -hmm. a, a wild card guest. You and, know? you know, um, part of the problem I feel like is I don't really think anybody should be interviewing Kanye West anymore. Right. Um, because it's sort of like, what does he really add to the culture or conversation? Um, and we know it's just going to get some crazy soundbite. Like, of course, that's why they booked him. But I did appreciate how we sort of like lulled Kanye into talking about some stuff that he doesn't actually really talk about before, mm -hmm. you know, like the beginning, you know, just asking him about, you know, his morning routine and talking about him being dad, him being a dad and then getting into the stuff um, about his own dad. You know, I felt like those were interesting things that I would love to hear about if Kanye West weren't who Kanye West well, has become. It, it was interesting because David Letterman asked the questions, like was crafting the narrative. Yeah. Like it wasn't interesting because of anything Kanye was saying. Of course. It was just like he was good at interviewing him. Yeah. Um, and then we, of course, got to, <sighs> well, so first they talked about why he stopped taking his medication. Um, and there was at least a kind of frank discussion of bipolarity. That was kind of, of interesting. Course. Yeah. yeah. You know, he attributed, um, a lot of his controversial comments regarding political and social issues, um, to his, um, opinions on mental health and his responsibility to shed, um, thought as an influencer on, you know, basically his bipolar disorder. He said, when you're bipolar, if you don't take medication every day, you have the potential to ramp up and it could take you to a point where you start acting erratic, as TMZ would put it. Um, he made a point of like the, as TMZ would put it, uh, and that was a laugh line in the audience, but I'm also like, sir, you were erratic. Yeah. You were saying slavery was a choice and shouting it in the middle of TMZ's bullpen. I'm I'm glad that at least he's talking about it and that conversation is being had. I would still, as I continue to argue, that doesn't necessarily affect the things you believe in. I believe that it impacts the way that he's behaving, the way that he is communicating it, the decisions he's making to go on these shows and ramble and that kind of thing. I have a hard time just getting to I'm bipolar and that's why I support Trump. And I know that's exactly what he was saying, but that is that's what people often say about him. Like they they sort of brush it away because of that. And I just don't exactly know how you can arrive at that conclusion. And he also added like he, when he talked about being into Trump and, and talking about how 
we deserve to have our side of the conversation. Whatever. It's like, no, don't lull me into believing like there's some like rationale behind this that the rest of us aren't picking up on. It's disgusting that you support him and supported him at the volume that you did. Right. Yeah. He's he, when he said that we don't have to feel the same way, but we have the right to feel what we feel and we have the right to have a conversation about it. That's that annoying devil's advocate thing that he always loves to do is the fact that he thinks that he's being a disruptor by engaging in this, and then you're always left with the feeling, do you even fucking like Donald Trump, or are you just doing this because this is who you've decided to be now? I mean, the the crux of it is, like, Donald Trump is an unbelievable egomaniac, as is Kanye West. Mm -hmm. And so that's largely what he is identifying in him. And then it's the fact that when their people are like, hey, that's not a good thing to say. He just doubles on down on it because he believes that he is correct about everything and because he is an egomaniac and believes that the things he are saying he's saying are disruptive or genius or whatever. So like his shit with Trump isn't even that fucking deep. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like he didn't even vote for him, which yeah. is he admits in the interview. Uh which 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 was such a poignant moment when he was talking about his father with Letterman um and talking about um how his father's like was working on some stuff now and how he wants that to be his legacy um, and Kanye was like well what about me aren't I your legacy I was like no nigga (laughs) you are not (laughs) I mean to believe that the only legacy his father leaves is him him is like tells you a lot what did you make of him identifying as like Andy Kaufman. Andy Kaufman. Now, here's the thing. I feel like I've just experienced a lifetime of people describing the genius of Andy Kaufman to me. And I'm not saying there isn't a version of like trolling comedy. If you're not familiar with Andy Kaufman, he's probably most famous for being on the show Taxi. Mm-hmm. Jim Carrey played him in that movie Man on the Moon. But what he, what he, a lot of what he does is basically described as anti-comedy, which is also how I describe Kanye West, generally speaking. <laughs> but it's also like I felt like Kanye West was giving himself a lot of credit for... Uh, a lot of stunts he's pulled in the past, recontextualizing them as somehow like calculated, um, purposeful comic moves when in fact they were just serious and out of control and terrible. Also, like you were wasted when you interrupted Taylor Swift. Like, truly, yeah. there's footage of him walking around with a bottle of Hennessy at the fucking video music awards. Mm-hmm. So the idea that any of this was planned in any way, like, no, nah, man, you were drunk. I think it's a big revisionist history. Yes. And also, yeah, I don't get this whole thing of people always doing this reverence of Andy Kaufman. Is it just because, like, he vanished? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> or whatever. He did die at a shockingly young age. He was 35. Yes, but it, it was also he, like, pulled away a bit from, like... Truly, yeah. Um, there's a bit of mystique to him. Yeah, yes. there's, there's, but, you know, I was like... He wasn't even my favorite fucking part of Taxi. Please. Okay? Mary Lou Hanner, Duh. Christopher Lloyd, Every Danny one. DeVito. Judd Hirsch, bitch. Right? Oscar nominee. Like, these are people that I love the most. Tony fucking Danza. <laughs> Class. Okay? Uh, Charm. The better Scott Bayo. Yes. Remember when he was on that show, Hudson something with Lori Laughlin? Anyway. <laughs> Hudson Street. Okay, yeah. Uh, Lori's probably giving him a few calls now. <laughs> I know, right? Please be a character witness. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I, ju- I just don't get it. You know, I mean, I, I, will say, I like Sam Rockwell as Andy Kaufman. This mm-hmm. this interview, which I think is, you know, when Kanye West is gone and we are looking back on his life and his legacy, I think one of the most defining things about him as an artist and a person will be the loss of his mother. And so anytime he talks about that, which he talked about in the interview, I think it is important um, because it does, you know, I, not that it justifies things or whatever, but it is, cl- it is clearly something that fucked him up 
on a monumental level. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's important to remember. And I think that it's probably something that with a bit of um, when we're a bit of distance from it, like you'll really be able to sort of track the impact of that a bit more clearly. And so hearing him discuss that, I'm like, it is a good reminder that this is a person who is that's something that really it's broken. impacted him, broke him and like is continuing to have an, an enormous impact on who he is today. And I think that, you know, we need that distance, not just from that, but also from his stands, you know, yeah. like the people who still like feverishly uh, defend anything he does are are crazed. Um, <laughs> and uh, there's this weird moment, too, where he talks about and I think this gets to the heart of him wanting to be this disruptor because he does. He is this egomaniac and he sees like he referenced uh there's a funny moment where he uh, quoted a Drake lyric, but oh, yeah. he oh, didn't he... mention Drake's name because he said, you know, we had some beef last year. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want to talk about him and his family on this show, which I'm like, fair point, sir. He probably uh, legally can't I talk know, right? about Drake and his family <laughs> Aubrey was like, don't mention my family. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he talked about how when he comes out saying other things, people are like, oh, man, you were my avatar. You know, like, I expected you to do this. And... I think the problem is that he, like, when he talks about the media and people, like, getting things wrong about him or, like, calling him erratic or whatever mm -hmm. and his Trump stuff, no one is ever suggesting that we expected you to do this. You know, like, <laughs> I'm never like, oh, I need Kanye in my life because he needs to teach me about um, my life or be this, like, God to me or whatever. We liked the music. Um, I liked his talent. I yeah. liked what he did for hip hop and black culture at a specific period of time. And then he diverged from that and became detrimental to it. And it wasn't about him not living up to or fulfilling whatever I needed. It was just really about him being um, a cancer almost. He, I mean, Connie, it's almost a testament to his music. He never had like a great personality. No. I never found him the person to be that interesting or compelling, but his music was so good that you were just like, we, mm -hmm. we don't need that from you, Kanye. Like, thank you for the new music. You have completely ushered in a new era of hip hop. Um, thank you for that. No mm -hmm. one really ever wanted to hear what you were talking about. Thank you for your work on Aphrodisiac, um, Brandy's best <laughs> I album. I love that album. I listened I mean, to that on the way to Palm Springs. Listen, so crazy. Jay-Z maybe should have stopped with the Black album because Kanye went off on the production on that. Yes. That would have been a good ending for everyone. Um, Where is Estelle? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, she was like, if these are the American boys, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good, love, and joy. <laughs> um, but other than that, I think that I would like this to be a closing chapter on Kanye, but I know it's not going to be, you know, like yeah. Kim just in the audience smiling the whole time. Um, they still see this as like promo, you know, the moment where he goes to his house, David is at the house. Um, First of all, that haunted fucking house. Right. I'm sorry. Um, and they can say that it's like Japanese like influences all they fucking want. <laughs> you can talk about Murakami as much as you want, bitch. Like your house looks scary. It's eerie. And then I love how the um the ghost of the house, um, Chris Jenner just managed to be there as oh, yeah. David Letterman was leaving. Levitating skull just, holding a candle, Chris so Jenner. She, just so she could be on Netflix. Yeah. Uh, you know what my, my worry, I mean, like, I would love this to be the last interview for him for a while. My worry is when he is discussing, like, for example, being bipolar and not taking his medication in sort of 
the context and way that he does, I'm worried that people are going to take that as a valid mm-hmm. position and whatever. And I'm like, I don't know that that's what we need to be saying because this is someone who admittedly needs needs help. Like a lot of people need, like mm-hmm. we all fucking probably need help with something or other. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I just, and because he's doing it in sort of a calm way, it's yeah. like, oh, this is more legit. We should listen to what he said. It's like, no, he's still saying things he shouldn't be saying. He's mm-hmm. still saying nonsense. He's still saying things that are wrong, but because he's doing it in a more calculated, nuanced way, it's being taken as legitimate. And that's exactly what I don't want to happen. Right. And we've already like gotten hyperbolic headlines, like Kanye talking about his mental health, like opens the door for us to like talk about yeah. bipolar disorder, et cetera, et cetera. It's like we can already have that conversation. Without, we didn't yeah. need Kanye didn't, to involve himself. Yeah. Um and as he stated, you know, it's been two years of his diagnosis. You know, so I'm like, I don't think a celebrity with a lot of money um who has also admitted to like being off of his medication for like eight months too um is really who we need to be lifting up as a spokesperson for bipolar disorder. Like, go interview some actual people who are suffering from this who aren't, like, also married to the Kardashian family and, Mm. like, trying to, like, make themselves God at Sunday service, whatever that is. If this just turned into a podcast where we analyze celebrity Q&As all day, it would honestly be fulfilling. It is really, (laughs) really my favorite way to engage with celebrities. Like, you said eight things, two of them were problematic, one was amazing, Mm -hmm. and the other five, I'm not sure. I feel like we reach um, a zenith when we have a podcast um, where people analyze our Q and A's with the celebrities who come. Oh on God! Oh God! I'm, I'm, you know, I'm afraid of Reddit. <laughs> <laughs> when we're back, keep it. And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode. It's keep it. It's right there on our mugs. Yeah, it is. We have keep it branded mugs Speaking now. Of I was commercialization. To, I was trying to figure out what happened. You both have cold beverages, right? Mm. So the condensation, and I yes. was just trying to figure out what's happening. I am drinking a brisk bleep Iced out <laughs> the name of the product that I'm drinking because they don't pay us. Mm. But it tastes very good. But it's a favorite of um, Love a, a dictator and John Lovett. Yes, he, he loves this drink. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, it's not his gross iced coffee drink that he gets from Starbucks. Oh. I identify as that cold beverage, so be careful. Anyway, um, what are we keeping this week? Shall I start? I mean, we'll start with you because I your keep it is Zany. another is... Lewis classic. <laughs> Lewis brand. It's Lewis on the uh, on the balance beam, just tumbling and trying to stay on. And okay, so that's the... why I invented keep it up, bitch. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I know. No, but I'll, I'll get to something mean. Tr- trust me, it gets asinine. Okay, so this is first of all my apology that I have not seen Rocket Man yet, based on not just the reviews but actual queer. Uh, uh, persnickety people really being into this movie. I am fucking psyched. It sounds like it is a gay movie. Well, uh, I haven't seen the fucking movie because I feel I feel like I haven't seen seventeen movies. I know. Yeah, they did some great crossover uh, marketing on Project Runway, where oh, they designed really? Elton John inspired outfits. So, oh, it I really got me very excited. Yeah, okay. is that season good with Carly? You know. Carly is irrelevant. The 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 rest of it's still good. The work still holds like, up. Like she doesn't it she didn't really matter. Yeah, okay. You know? Good to hear. Um so I wanted to uh to make it up for you, come up with an Elton John inspired keep it. And so I went through his career to find one, and here it is. <sighs> 
Keep it to the 1994 Academy Award for Best Original Song for Can You Feel the Love Tonight. Guys, that is a garbage single of Elton John's. That is one of his worst songs. And even though we just had Billy Eichner on the show talking about the live action Lion King and how, I guess, Beyonce's, is it Beyonce and Donald Glover sing yes. it? <laughs> Still waiting for that. All right. That's going to be great. Guys, it's just a creepy song about lions fucking around. I don't know. And then there's like weird <laughs> lyrics about how a disaster is approaching. It scares me a little bit. And also 1994. Okay. That's a year where the Lion King dominated the music category. So there's three nominations and they did not even nominate what should have won Madonna's I'll remember from with honors. You know that song? Yeah. Okay. Well, it's in the video. She has black bangs completely inventing Feruza Balk and the craft, which should be very important to you. <laughs> it's one of her best ballads. Um, and also, I just want to say, it's like, Madonna couldn't even get nominated for that. And the year before, we nominated Janet for that song again, which is not in her top 30 either, by the a- again way. Again is a bop. I, I disagree. Okay? I disagree. All Together right. again is a bop. Again well, is yes. not a bop. Again is, you know, like a a slow, sultry little... I prefer Runaway if we're talking about those. Okay. How about this hot take? The only two good best songs were... Uh, my heart will go on, and it's hard out here for a pimp. That is <laughs> that have, is my hot take. I could have written your answers for that. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Those are the only two good ones. <laughs> Those are the only two you remember. No, I know. <laughs> I remember uh, Eminem won for "Lose Yourself" yes. and he didn't show up. Look, uh, look at the sly Oscar expert jumping out. Yeah, I do remember the year they let Beyonce sing all the songs. Oh yeah, she did the song from Phantom of the <laughs> they Opera. Didn't even yes. let the people who were nominated sing, and they're just like Beyonce is going to do them all. Hostile takeover like from Miss Knowles. Yes. So that's what I remember. and I actually would have remembered. Can you feel the love tonight? <laughs> mm, yeah, I mean maybe she'll sing it this year. Yeah, yeah, could be. This oh coming my gosh. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. But anyway, that's I the only reason we're doing any of this with Lion King, right? Just so we could see her perform it live. Right, right, right. Also, Pride Month exclusive. I just want to point people to an Elton John song with George Michael from the 80s that no one knows about called Wrap Her Up, where they sing this really cokey 80s song and it concludes with them listing back and forth their favorite female stars out loud so they're like grace jones <laughs> vivian lee it is the gay shit you need to find this vogue my, is shook no quite and it predates vogue my one problem with rocket man is that on fairfax avenue there is a rocket man installation ad thing and when you walk by it music starts playing and i was walking down the street at night once and I just started hearing Elton John music and I was like what the fuck is happening I truly couldn't figure out where it's coming from because it's like this speaker that's kind of hidden and and every time a person walks by it triggers the music and I don't love it oh that's haunting was it's, it something loud too like Crocodile Rock it's, it's kind of loud yeah I don't remember the song but like you you walk by it just I'd never seen that with because it's just a movie, po- you know, like the movie posters on the mm-hmm. on the walls, and then and then there's music. It's a bit much, guys. It's the George Michael song. Also, that's why people don't know it. It's he's so famous. Like I know an Elton John song. Yeah. Like I don't need to be reminded when I walk past the poster. Like he's <laughs> he's pretty famous. Benny and the Jets. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> um, no, I knew that song by the way. Oh, you I did? love Lost uh, George Michael. Duets. Oh yeah, the one with talk about. Jody Watley. Uh, well, yeah, learn to say no. And if I told you that, oh my God, yes. Well, of course, yes, and, him um, and Whitney Houston just screaming at each other. Uh, <laughs> what's the other one that's great with Aretha Franklin? I knew you were waiting for me. That's yeah. the, that's the best one. All right, you gave that's us about a, it. Yeah, you gave us a keep it from a lost episode <laughs> from 1994. Kara, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're just gonna go back right. in time with our keep it now. Uh, keep it to AIDS. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay. Um, <laughs> my key bit is to the Keanu Reeves slander that I am seeing on my timeline. Meaning what? Well, Who was slandering I, Keanu Reeves? Here's what's happening. Keanu Reeves is is back in the zeitgeist. You know, he has the John Wick movie. He has an excellent turn and always be my maybe on Netflix. And people are like, you know what? He's like not that hot or which I feel like what happens with Keanu Reeves is they're like, he's not a good actor. He's just as, you know, he's just playing like action heroes with no emotions or whatever. Um, Keanu Reeves is an excellent actor. Those are creative decisions that he is making. <laughs> he is hilarious and always be my maybe. So many creative decisions and much ado about nothing. So that he yes. Was making. Give me, listen. And I stand, Keanu. Listen, if, if we had Betty Draper truly not changing her facial expression for the entirety of Mad Men, you guys can watch Keanu Reeves do what he does best. Um, he's also like 50 years old. He looks great. His hair is immaculate. And you all need to just be happy. He's even blessing us with anything else. John Wick 3. I haven't seen any of the John Wicks, but you, I assume you all liked them. I Para assume, Ben Bellum. Yeah, sure. Is that his name in the movie? <laughs> the third installment's called Parabellum. Got it. <laughs> Be Listen, he did all that training. He had to go do the... I saw the video of him and Halle Berry, and they're shooting the guns, and they're in the gym, and they're doing all that shit, just so you can get a John Wick 3. Just be happy. It does feel to me like Twitter has discovered in a major way, though, that he seems like a wonderful person. Like, just like yes. he's quoted a lot when he was on Colbert and said that, like, Colbert's like, what do you think happens when we die? And he literally goes, the people who love us will miss us. Yeah. Whoa, are you Jesus? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, also, that narrative about him being a bad actor is is such an age old take. It, it's from when he was in even Dangerous Liaisons or something. It's like um, years and I'm years sorry. and years old. Speed? Hello? Fabulous. Great movie. Acting his face off in that movie. Listen, he is from the um, school of acting where it's all about the director and the script and the vibe. I think Hitchcock would have loved Keanu because oh, he would not you have been trouble exactly on right. set. You he are also, exactly right. There was a infographic going around or like a list of male action, not even just action stars, but like male box office stars who'd worked with female directors. And if you can believe it, very few of them had worked with like more than one or two. Gasp. And he, right, if you can believe <laughs> it. And he had worked with like significantly more female directors mm -hmm. than all of these dudes. His breakout with one of my faves, Catherine Bigelow, mm -hmm. yeah. Point Break is truly that movie. And Ninochka Khan did this um, Always Be My Maybe. So mm -hmm. leave him alone, guys. And he gets points in retrospect for the Matrix movies. Sure. Oh, does he? Why yeah. in re well? Because it's on on the list of female directors. That oh, he's right, right, with. right, right. Yes, 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 it includes them, which he didn't know at the time, but it counts. Now. And his hair remains fabulous. He, he has the hair of like Ann Curry or something. He has yes, great he hair. does have the hair of Ann Curry. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. It's a beautiful. Let I'll, him read the news to us, please. I, Fuck Megan Kelly. Actually, can Meg? If Erin Curry, <laughs> I don't. I I bet she can't act, though. I love her. I but love her too. If I could do like an Ann Curry, Keanu Reeves rom com, oof, I would watch the shit out of that. Okay. And you can do it, girl. I'd watch it. Yeah. Yeah. What What are they doing in this rom com? I mean, my first instinct is that they're they're morning news anchors, right? Yeah. Just so she doesn't have to stretch too far. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you know they fall in love on air. They're like those two psychos on MSNBC. <laughs> What's what are their names? What's oh, the from from Morning Joe. Morning Joe. Joe Joe and uh, and whatever her Micah, name is. Micah. Yeah. Joe, Joe and Micah. Yeah. <laughs>
The only Micah I like is the gay pop singer that we didn't appreciate enough. We didn't. Mm-hmm. That song Grace Kelly, so good. I know. He could have been singing the songs in Call Me By Your Name. Right. Yeah. Instead oh, my got God. That, what could have been? That, that maybe gay Jesus lover. <laughs> good, good voice, though. Yeah. He's got a great voice. Uh, so my keep it this week, you know, there's a lot of things I could keep. There was a, there was a lot. <laughs> I could say... I could keep it to Showtime and Jason Mitchell just on a set harassing Ooh. people. Mm. Uh, I could keep it to, as much as I love her, uh, a bad statement from Lena Waithe where she was just like, uh, um, I feel bad for Tiffany Boone. I was like, all right, girl. Um, I want a little bit more than that. But uh, my actual keep it this week is to people online praising the Queen of England. <laughs> I mean, she's good at it. I don't know. So I'm Americans, I just want to be clear. No, We're... even British people too. So I saw this on Twitter late last night um, as I was doing, you know, research. Oh, I, yeah. I know you're going to say yes. Yeah. And so the fucking Trump family is in England for some reason. Ivanka's looking a mess, by the way. That awful dress. First of all, she that looks. She dress. looks a mess. Um, none of the Trump sons look good in their um, tuxes. Like their tailor was either asleep or sabotaging them. They truly <laughs> looked like they were in a community theater production of Showboat. <laughs> <laughs> Gross. Yeah. Listen, I love Showboat. I'm not human. They, I love Edna Ferber. Please. It also looks like they gave Tiffany one of. Ivanka's old dresses that didn't mm. quite fit her. And they were like, yeah. squeeze in, girl, bitch. We didn't, we forgot you were coming. Yeah. The corset looks tight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she looks She looks like she was trying to either breathe or do the um, Olsen twins um, prune oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> moment during all the photos. She looked uncomfortable. Maybe it's because she's not used to being in photos with her family. Yes. Um, the vibe was very like Six Flags photo booth. Yeah. But... <laughs> Anyway, the Trumps are there at the White House. The red carpet is being rolled out, whatever. People online keep trying to interpret things that the queen is doing as, quote unquote, (laughs) shade against Trump. Mm -hmm. She gave him a book. Oh, my God. Expert shade from the queen because they know that Trump can't read. Bitch, she is not shading him by giving him a book. It was lying around the house. Also, do you think that was her decision? The queen walked out. Someone was like, here, bitch, give this to him. She didn't even know what it was. Like, she was out here selecting a book, wrapping it herself. She doesn't know what's happening. Someone tried to say that the crown that she was wearing, like the oh, jewel yeah, the symbol <laughs> repelling hate, and she was what doing is this, that the Da Vinci to repel. Code? I was, come on. They invited him to the fucking house. Philip is up in there, you know, being a Nazi. So I really don't think that they're that pressed about Donald Uh, Trump. They may not like him, but they're not doing these like expert (laughs) clues to send through the media. The only person there who actually treated Trump as they should have was Harry. What do you do? Well, Harry just sort of like the the British press, which is trash, um, was sort of dragging him. Um, He was being dragged in the sun for having bad manners because he apparently only showed up for the introductory sort of meal with Trump. And then he peaced out. Why would he show up to some (laughs) shit? That fucking buffoon just called his wife nasty. They were like bad manners. He should have been on the rest of the whole thing with Trump. 
it, and of course they think it's bad manners from him because they don't like Meghan Markle. Right. They're like, oh, he should disrespect her. Right. And also, William shouldn't have been there in the first place either. Because you remember when Trump on Howard Stern was talking about he could have fucked Diana, but like Ooh. she would have had to take like um, I should have taken out the whole family. She would have right, had to right. take like an STD test ah, before uh, because she did all her work with AIDS. Mm. Oh, you know my my cool. least my least favorite sort of narrative around all that was like when they would do a side by side of a picture of the queen with Barack Obama and her face, and then a picture of her with Trump, and I was like. She looks the same. They're like, oh, she just look at her face. I'm like her stoic, emotionless face that she's had for 55 years as if there was any difference between them. She was just standing there each time, guys. She's so old. She just shows up. She stands there with her little handbag. She's wearing the crown. She takes the pictures. That's it. It looks no different. I'm still getting over you saying someone handed her a book and said, here, bitch. <laughs> I don't know what, like a, a lady in waiting. Do they still have? Is that what they still have? It could have been the Devil Wears Prada. They <laughs> <laughs> grabbed the first book on that yeah. shelf. Because they know he's not going to read it. E pray love. It yeah. sure doesn't matter. <laughs> Uh, yeah. But you know who did uh, give a little like wink to the camera like fuck this was Camilla Parker Bowles. Did you see that? Yeah. It was kind of funny. Or maybe her wink was to Melania because they were both mistresses who <laughs> right. <laughs> turned themselves into wives. <laughs> Zapped themselves into power. <laughs> They're like, I get you, girl. We're desperate housewives. Well, the other thing is the actual... The actual like good pushback to Trump was all of the shit around England. They had like... Someone had shaved like a dick into like a field with his name. Someone they, was projecting um, oh, yeah, his and Obama's approval, approval ratings yeah. on the side of the palace. Yeah, like the actual citizens had done all of this shit around the city to just be like, fuck you, Trump, we hate you. Oh, and someone put up an image of uh, like John McCain's. Uh, oh, yeah, like his hat his or something. Hat. Oh, right, <laughs> like yes. The, his, like that was on Madame Tussauds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so we I, need more creative trolling here in that right, way. But that was great. So I don't know why you are, I don't know why you need to focus on these boring old inbred white people as if they are throwing him any shade whatsoever. Yeah. She, the, the queen doesn't know what shade is. No. I, I, please. She she knows what shade her servants are. <laughs> Jesus. They're, they're probably a lot lighter than they used to be just because of optics. You know. Oh my God. She looks <laughs> good in lime. <laughs> she does look good in lime. You know what? I actually... I don't even, I like, the <laughs> crown too. has made me like the queen. It's just she wasn't doing anything. The crown has made me like Claire Foy. I mean, I don't know if I care that much more about the queen herself. I don't know that I care, but I appreciate how long she has been doing this shit. Of course. Well, if she will give some of her diet regimen to, um, or Livet's regimen to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I'd very much appreciate it if Ruth Bader... <laughs> Ruth Bader Ginsburg better be sitting on an HGH needle right now. <laughs> if she can live as long as this happened, <laughs> then, then I am for it. <laughs> Woo. I think that's our show. Yeah. Wow. Well, <laughs> You started a war with, with the United Kingdom, so <laughs> we're ready to go now. Ooh, Follow uh, up on Twitter with that one. Pod Save the Crown will be coming after us, uh, <laughs> our rival <laughs> British podcast. <laughs> 
Uh, cheerio! Uh, thanks to Jacob Tobia and to Tina Arnold for joining us today. We will see you next week. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite reduces IT costs because it lives in the cloud with no hardware required, so you can access it from anywhere. You cut the cost and headaches of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. Bringing all your major business processes into one platform improves efficiency, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. You'll see how you'll profit with NetSuite, too. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Just go to netsuite.com slash podcast25 for more information. That's netsuite.com slash podcast25.